Friends, welcome to This Week in the Way of Jesus, a podcast hosted by the Eighth Street Church. We are a spiritual community of hope and transformation that is trying to live this way of Jesus. You'll find both weekly spiritual practices and weekly sermons on this podcast feed. For more information about the Eighth Street Church, please visit our website, www.8thstreetchurch.org, or social media pages linked in the show notes. Grace and peace to you, friends. Uh, my name is Banny, and I get to be one of the pastors here at the H Street Church, and I'm grateful to be with you this morning. I am here today because I want to be human. That might sound odd. Um, I, I want to be fully human, and I think that's one of the things we mean each week when we say that we want to be a spiritual community of hope and transformation that lives the way of Jesus. We might just confess, I want to be fully human. As you're able, I'd invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's word for us today. We'll be reading out of the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. So hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and we can say together, thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, for the last few weeks, we've been exploring this question, what is God like? We're asking this question because for so many of us, our image and understanding of who God is and what God is like is so complex. It's so intertangled that we aren't quite sure how to make sense of, well, what is God like? How does God actually operate in the world? So whether you grew up in church your whole life or this life of faith is perhaps new to you, I think we all have these competing ideas, these competing stories uh, of who God is and what God is like. It's almost as if we have like multiple inputs in the back of our mental uh, computer screen and each is playing this uh, different reality. And it's portraying different characterizations of who God is. And so what we do then is we try to hop around to the different screens based on maybe what's, what works for us in that moment. This is how I can make sense of what's going on in me or going on in the world. Or we try and take a step back and we look at all of the projections. Uh, and it's complex and it's confusing and we're not quite sure what to do with it. And so one of the things we've been attempting to do in this series of the character of God is to recapture or represent or even present for the first time just who is this God that's revealed throughout the narrative of Scripture? Who is this God revealed in the person of Jesus? And what is this God like? So the God that reveals God's self through the story of Israel as this God named Yahweh is repeatedly described as compassionate, and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And while that might not sound all that profound to us, in this context where every region and every nation and every empire serves multiple gods, and these gods are 
finicky and distant and hard to please and hard to anticipate for a God to say, this is what I am and this is what I am like, would be like our next president or our next governor to actually be a human who cares about other humans. Or it would be like a politician who cares about the needs of the people they're serving rather than their own. It would be mind-blowing, and this was mind-blowing to a much larger scale. And after Yahweh reveals what God is like, compassion and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, the people then experience God to actually be like this. This is not a God who says some things early on in the political campaign just to score some points, but then backtracks when they actually have to do something about it. But Yahweh is the God who consistently is the way that God says God is, which is why this section that we've explored in Exodus 34 is the most quoted scripture in all of scripture, that the prophets, the Psalms, the wisdom literature continue to, to tell of this God to be this way in people's lives. And then we see Jesus come on the scene. And this isn't Yahweh with a software update, but this is that same God who has been revealed throughout the story of Israel. This is this God embodied and in flesh. And now in Jesus, God's character, what God is like has been unleashed in the world. And what happens when God is unleashed in the world is that healing and redemption and forgiveness and lives made new describe the stories of what happens when God's character is active in the world. When God's nature is embodied in a person, as we see in the person of Jesus, transformation and wholeness tend to be what follows. So if this is who God is and this is what God is like, then we, those who have been made in the image and likeness of this God, we hold this capacity to, to individually and collectively reflect what this God is like in and to the world. And we jump into the text and these creation stories we find in Genesis, they're they're beautiful and they're poetic and they speak of God as creator and sustainer and they give us this first glimpse of what this God is like. And so we look at the text and we go, well, what is God doing? God is creating. God is creating life and beauty and potential. This act of creation is this act of, of generosity and love and it's, it's creativity. It's this like byproduct or fruit of who God is at God's core. In other words, because God is who God is, it's as if creation is inevitable. If our confession is that God is love and that in the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, there is this, this movement, this dance of outpouring love, then God's nature, in essence, is to create and sustain life. It's like that's the natural outpouring of who God is. And this essence and nature of God permeate the creation stories. Each stage of creation is this revelation. It reveals a glimpse of what God is like. Each stage of creation is a pure act of grace. But at some point in the creation process, God does something unique. 
And up to this point in creation, God has said, this is good. This is good. Every act of creation is good. But in this act, God does something different. God says, let us make humans in our image according to our likeness. Later on in the creation story, it actually says that as God's creating humanity, God does something else that's unique. God breathes God's ruach. Can you say that with me? Ruach. You got to really work on it. God's spirit, God's breath into humanity. The very spirit of God has been breathed into people. This is the same word, ruach. The spirit that hovers over the primordial waters in the beginning. This wind that's blowing over the waters. And what does this wind do? It brings life to the lifeless. It brings order to chaos. It brings form to the formless. Humanity, made in the image and likeness of God, filled with the life-giving breath of God. God looked at all that God had created and said, oh, this is good. This is very good. And it would seem that from the beginning, God has this hope that God's creation, specifically through humanity, would be this reflection of what God is like in and to the world. That, that in you, and in me, and in us, the very nature and character of God would be known. And so we ask, well, what is God like? And there holds this potential for us to be able to look at one another, to be able to answer that question, what is God like? God is what this community looks like. And if the refrain of the story of God is, God is compassionate and gracious, God is the one who is patiently sorting through the realities of evil in our world, setting things right, God is the one who is covenantally and generously committed to this work God is always going to be like this, then our lives hold the capacity to reflect all of that into the world. Now, sometimes this potential is actually actualized. It's, it's realized. It, and it brings about transformation and healing. And, and we see these stories in the stories of the early church in the book of Acts. We get to this day of Pentecost, and it's like this call back to the beginning. God's ruach. God's spirit is at work again, and it's poured out on all flesh. And these disciples stand in the room, and the wind of God starts to do what it did in the beginning, bringing form and life and order and creation. As the stories that follow, as we see these people who have now been empowered by the Ruach of God, we see this community that's trying to live the way of Jesus one of the first things they decide to do is we're going to hold all things in common. We're going to sell property and possessions and distribute to those who have need. And, and this isn't a slight toward owning property or having wealth or possessions. But what I think gets modeled here is here is this community that values the lives of people over property and possessions. That in and of itself should be mind-blowing for us because that's what happens when the character of God gets unleashed among the people. And just as God's nature gets unleashed in the person of Jesus, this new community's life and their way of being 
you start to see healing and transformation happen. The lame are able to walk, the sick are made well, the tormented find peace. And it's like everything that Jesus had said Jesus would do back in Luke chapter 4, announcing the kingdom of God, this is why I have come. It's like all those things are starting to be realized again, in and through the church. And similarly, just as people took notice of what was happening in Jesus. They took notice of the activity of God in in the person of Jesus. People started to take notice of the activity of God in the early church. The apostles were beaten and threatened, stoned and killed. Because when God's spirit, God's nature is active in the world, it is a threat to the way that things are. Even amidst the threat, that spirit continues to do does. New things start to happen. We see the story of Philip, this apostle Philip, who comes alongside a carriage, and in the carriage is this Ethiopian eunuch, this person who has been excluded from the assembly of God forever. And he starts to tell him about the story of God and what God is doing in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And now this person who has been excluded is baptized and fully welcomed into the family of God. This happens again with the story of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. This this family, this this person, Cornelius, he's not just an outsider, he's an enemy. He's Roman. And his entire household is baptized, and they receive the power of the Spirit. And it's like God's intentions to be a healing and present presence in the midst of all creation is starting to realized. These aren't just stories of the past. We could repeat old stories of the past, but we see this potential realized even in in the lives of you all in our community. I see it in our educators and our administrators. As you do the work of education and guidance, it's a work of healing and wholeness. It's not just math and history and science or a foreign language that kids are learning, but in you, they see what God is like. As you notice them, you know them. As you take interest in who they are and you find yourself being moved by, by their stories and their passions, as you do far more than what's required of you, and we know you do this, you do it in the hope that their lives might flourish. As you do this work of stirring curiosity and creativity within them, you're actually helping them bear witness to their own imago dei, their image of God. We see this in our therapists and our counselors. As you do the work of holding people's stories and the realities and circumstances that they live under and feel trapped under at times, you hold that with them and you creatively find ways, pathways towards healing and wholeness. And in you, we see what God is like. We see this in our business owners. As you create, you create opportunities for one another. You create hospitable spaces. You create products that are good and helpful. We see this when you care more about the people you work with and the people you serve than how much money you're making. We get this glimpse of what God is like. And I think we certainly see this in our moms and dads who stay at home with our kids. As you do this work of reading, 
to our kids. As you prepare mac and cheese for the 10th time that week, as you comb their hair, as you wash their hands, as you wipe their bottoms, as you step on a Lego and keep your cool, as you put your phone away and you be present with them, as you invite them into your own interests and your passions, as you help them navigate friendships and feelings, boo-boos and broken toys, their tough questions and even tougher answers. As you do this, we see the tender care and compassion of God. Friends, you are our exemplars of grace. We see you contributing to the making of things right. We see this long commitment, this faithfulness to our little ones. And in you, not only do they get a glimpse of what God is like, but you're helping actualize their image of God and their likeness to God. And and I get to see this every day as I come into church and I get to see the work of the 8th Street Urban Farm. I'm hit by the unleashing of God's nature and character in this community through the work of Farmer Evan and Pastor Andrea. They have leaned in to what it means to be fully human. Their preparation and their planting, their pruning and their harvesting is the work that propels what God is like to the world. This God that is creator creator and sustainer, compassionate and gracious, the one who is making things right, the one who generously loves and can be relied upon, that is the God we see in the work and activity of Evan and Andrea. They participate in this act of creation, and the very fruit of their work provides sustenance. And it's not just sustenance for anyone, but because they care for our neighbors, because they care for those who cannot provide for themselves, because they care about the systems of injustice that keep people from being able to provide for themselves, they've chosen to do something about it. And then they just give it away generously. Friends, they work hard. They work really, really hard. They are faithful to this work. And I see what God is like because of how Evan and Andrea have given their lives wholly to this God. When we know what God is like, this God revealed in the story of Israel, this God revealed in Jesus, we get to point to that work of God. And then we can help actualize the reflection image that we've been made in. But we can also confess that that potential is not always actualized, right? We can certainly talk about that in the narrative of scripture, and we could talk a long time about the stories of people who have not lived within the reality that they are made in the image and likeness of God. But might we have the courage to confess that that's kind of our story too at times, right? We confess each week we don't have our lives together. And on our own, we can't get them together. So we need God's grace and we need one another. And so I've been asking myself this week, if I'm not reflecting what God is like to the world, what am I reflecting? And I think in simplest way I can say it is, I think I, I think I think we, I think we reflect the complex image the God that has been formed and shaped over time throughout our lives. So if 
if God for you is the God who gets angry and is violent and lashes out, then we can justify our own violence in thought and word and deed. If God is the God who stays at a distance and is uninvolved in the realities of our world, then I too get to be distant and uninvolved in the realities of this world. I can stay clear of the injustices that my neighbors and my friends face on a daily basis. And if God is the God who waits behind the corner watching for every misstep, then we become gatekeepers. And then we determine, well, who's in and who's out? And it's all based on our ideology of the day or our political party of choice that week. And if God is the God who's just fully on board with my political party or my candidate of choice, then I have this permission to fully embody their ideologies and philosophies and values. And then I have the audacity to say I do it in the name of God. And if God's just the God who wants us to be happy, then we just do what we want. And we become our own God. And we consume ourselves in things that bring us pleasure and happiness. And we distance ourselves from anything that brings us discomfort or inconvenience or pain. And all this results in this sort of apathy. We become apathetic toward one another and we become apathetic toward God. There's this old saying that God made humanity in God's image. And ever since, we've been trying to return the favor. Because we don't know the God that's been revealed in the person of Jesus. And because the whole of our lives have been formed, we've been formed in such a way to think of God in a multitude of ways. That when we're met with what God is actually like, we reject God. And we project our preferred version of ourselves, or our community, or our politics, our economics, onto that. God. So we might ask ourselves, even after hearing all the stories of the ways in which God's active in your lives, we might still ask ourselves, is it really possible for us to reflect what God is like in the world? Are those moments just coincidences? Do I hold that capacity? Or is that what I really am? Is this what we really are? I think, I think part of our formation, how we're being shaped in this way of Jesus, is that though we're aware of Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation stories, and then though we're aware of what happens in the end when God says, behold, I am making all things new, it's like it doesn't affect us in a functional way. We're aware of it. But we live our lives as if the story starts in Genesis 3 at the fall. So the story starts from the beginning. We're just bad, forever bent towards sin and death. And at some point in the story, forgiveness is made available, but transformation is not. But that's not how the story starts, and that's not how the story ends. In what is becoming one of my favorite kids' movies, uh, is the movie Moana. Have any fans? Yeah. Beautiful. It's got great music, great story. There's this moment, and spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it by now, I don't don't know what you're doing. There's this moment 
where Moana realizes that this evil lava monster, Taka, that she has to fight to get past is not really who she thinks she is. It's my favorite part of the movie, and, and when I watch it with my daughter, Lucy, I, I get pretty emotional every time. I don't know that I'll get emotional in front of you, but if Lucy were here, that'd be different. But the story goes something like this. When death and famine threaten Moana's people, Moana goes on this journey to restore the hearts of Tafiti. Tafiti was this life-generating presence in the world. And the story goes that, that the heart of Tafiti was stolen. Because of that, the life-generating presence of Tafiti no longer was active in the world. But what was active was this slow process of death and destruction. So Moana is invited to this journey, and she uh, goes to battle against this evil lava monster named Taka. I would, I would have images up. Our internet's not working today, but you can imagine, evil lava monster, right? And she finally makes it past Taka and rushes in to place the stone into the heart of Taka, only to find that, or into Tafiti, but Tafiti's not there. There's this moment where she realizes that Taka, the one who is spreading death and destruction, is actually Tafiti, the one who holds this capacity to be a life-generating presence in the world. And Taka has just forgotten who she is. And I said I wasn't going to get emotional, but Moana sings to her. I have crossed the horizon to find you. I know your name. They have stolen the heart from inside you. This does not define you. This is not who you are. So I ask you, friends, do you know who you are? What happens before Genesis 3 is that humanity is made in the image and likeness of God. And God says this is good. This is very good. You might say that our likeness to God, our blessedness of God, is far more original than sin. Grace precedes everything, which means you are more than capable to reflect what God is like in the world. In fact, How is it we remember who we are? How is it we might grow and mature into this life of faith? How is it we might actually be fully human? I think we start with remembering who God is, the one who is revealed throughout the history of time. We recapture this image of God that we've tried to represent over the last few weeks. And then we do this hard work of trying to cast aside some of the images of God that we've made God to be, which uh, takes time. Formation takes time. We trust that God is who God says God is, the compassionate and gracious one, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then I think we take stock of our own lives and we trust that grace is more original than sin. That within you 
And within this community, we hold this capacity to reflect what God is like in the world. And so maybe on one level, we need to ask ourselves just some questions because maybe these questions help us figure out in very ordinary and tangible ways, how is it I might reflect God to the world? And so who in my life do I have opportunity to show compassion to? How can I come alongside my kids and my neighbors, my family and my friends and this community? How can I come alongside my coworkers and become a co-sufferer with them? How can I enter into their suffering and tenderly care for them? How can I take notice of what's happening in our city and what's happening in our world and be so moved by something like homelessness or addiction or the rezoning of districts or our politics or our economics or gentrification or education and be so moved by what's going on to say that's not the way it should be and then try to do something about it. How is it that I can extend this sort of patience that seemingly God exudes Patience to my household, to my neighbors, to the people who prepare food at our restaurants, maybe even to our politicians. But also know that there are moments when you are invited to respond and to act. And that response looks like an effort toward making things right. And so when our patience has run out, and we've done all we can, and things are still not the way they should be. Friends, you have permission to turn your anger Godwards. Because our enemies cannot handle our anger and our violence, but God's body can. And so we pray the Psalms and we sing songs of lament and we turn our anger and violence toward God. Maybe we ask ourselves, how is it that I can remain committed to the way of Jesus? Am I, am I a faithful person? Am I faithful in the way I serve my family? Am I faithful in my work? Am I faithful to this church and to the city? Am I faithful to stay the course? That though there might be years of difficulty and brokenness and broken relationships and years of being unfulfilled, that faithfulness is a long game. It is this long obedience in the same direction, which is difficult for us in an age of instant everything, right? I can click and have something at my house in two days. I can microwave my breakfast. I can binge entire seasons rather than wait 16 weeks to watch a whole season. But faithfulness is this long game. So can I navigate the emotional highs and lows of relationships to realize that there's fruit and goodness and years of covenant and faithfulness. Might I be rooted in a city, in a neighborhood, in a house long enough to see God's patient work at work in that place? These are helpful questions for us because I think they help us think through in very ordinary ways. What does it look like for God's character and nature to be unleashed in and through us? And I, I would invite you to 
prayerfully spend time with these questions. But this work is not something we do on our own. We need God's grace and we need each other. And friends, from the beginning, all the grace has been made available to you. And to respond to that grace is to offer your life to be formed in this way of Jesus. To respond to that grace is to offer yourself fully to God's ways and God's kingdom. So to realize that your relationships and your work and your friendships and your spending habits and your leisurely habits, everything is a way by which you might reflect what God is like to the world. So I invite you to the table because each week it is our first step in responding to grace. And each time we gather around it, we are invited to open ourselves up to this life of Jesus and to hear the words, I know your name, and I invite you to remember who you are. So it was at dinner on the night before Jesus was betrayed by those he came to save that he took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you whenever you eat. Remember me. Then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it. He said, this is the covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink this, do so in affectionate remembrance of me. So friends, anyone who recognizes their need for grace is invited and welcomed at this table. Because the grace has been made available to you from the beginning. So we want no barriers, so our bread is gluten-free and our wine is non-alcoholic. So I invite you to come down the center aisle with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. Allow them to place the bread in your hands, dip it into the cup, hear the words that they have to say to you, and be thankful. If you need help receiving the elements today, just wave at Pastor Andrea and she'd be happy to come serve you. But friends, I invite you to this table of grace. Come when you are ready. Friends, each week we invite our congregation to respond to what they've heard by entering into a weekly spiritual practice. You can find the episode to the practice and enter into this way of Jesus in the podcast feed. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you wherever you go.